Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. Lovely to see you all today, wherever you are in the world. Uh, we've had a lot of shows recently about women climbing mountains. The mountains that they've been climbing have been metaphorical. Uh, we had Judy Battalion's uh, brilliant new book, The Light of Days, about Jewish women in, in Europe resisting, physically resisting, fighting against the Nazis. Uh, we had Rosa Brooks, uh, another wonderful book about a, a woman who joined um, the police uh, in Washington, D.C. to get a sense of what it's like to be a policewoman in America today. Uh, we had Sherry Turkle. I always talk about her new book, The Empathy Diaries, the autobiography of a poor girl from New York who became one of the most famous uh, academic theorists in the world at Harvard and MIT. Uh, we had last week uh, Nicole uh, Perlroth, the New York Times journalist, a book about how she made sense of uh, cyber weapons. It made her sick, but she climbed that particular mountain. And last but not least, Fern Chapman, a book uh, last week about uh, how she found her her brother, who had been estranged all her life. All these women are climbing one kind of mountain or another, uh, rediscovering their brother, finding out about the police, learning about um, what it's like to make sense of oneself in America. Uh, my guest today, though, is quite literally a climber of mountains, but of both literal and metaphorical uh, mountains. Uh, she has a wonderful new book out, uh, To the Greatest Heights, Facing Danger, Finding Humility, and Climbing a Mountain of Truth. She's perhaps um, uh, America or Britain. I'm sure, I think she's Anglo-American. She is uh, amongst, if not the greatest mountaineer, the most adventurous woman of her generation. And I, I'm honored and thrilled that uh, she's on the show. Um, Vanessa, metaphorical and literal mountains. Uh, you're in the business of climbing both, aren't you? Absolutely. So there are real mountains and there's metaphorical mountains. So whichever way you look at it, they apply in this book. Uh, your uh, the mountains that I think most interested me in your book are your personal mountains. Of course, we'll talk about K2 and the Himalayas and all the other amazing achievements of, of, of what you did. You, you did the Explorer's Grand Slam between 2012 and 2013. You climbed these mountains. You went to the North Pole and the South Pole. But it seems to me that the biggest achievement of that and of the book is a kind of, if not a personal salvation, a personal enlightenment. Is that fair, Vanessa? Yeah, I mean, certainly, I think, uh, you know, when, when you when you start out climbing, it becomes, it's more of a personal journey. It's one of self-awareness is what you get out of it. And I think as you continue climbing, it becomes more important to look at ways to give back, uh, you know, environmentally. So you move from, say, an, uh, an adventure to an explorer. 
Uh, books are always given away by the inscriptions at the beginning. They always summarize, or they should summarize the book. Uh, you dedicate your book to all those with the courage to embrace change. Uh, this is a book indeed about both courage and the embrace of change. Are they intimately related to embrace change? Do you need to be courageous, Vanessa? You know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough um, word to look at, um, at, at things like bravery uh, and courage and, you know, whether there's something that you, um, that you have or whether something is, is, comes upon you, a situation comes upon you. Um, I can say that um, one, of the, one of the things that I, I differentiate is uh, whether you know the risks in advance. So uh, what's different about climbing mountains, uh, say, instead of running into a burning building is um, I, I know the risks in advance of, of what I'm doing. Um, so when somebody says for every uh, four that climb K2, one dies, you know, that's, that's the statistical fact. Um, you know, if, if I were just running into a, a burning building I've never seen before, uh, one might say, I, I haven't judged those risks. I don't know those risks. And um, so whether that's a, a courageous act, an act of bravery, you know, I, I think there's a difference when you know the risks in advance and you still take them. The old question, of course, the cliched question when uh, talking to a mountaineer is, is why do you climb mountains? And you quote uh, George Mallory, the early 20th century English mountaineer, whose classic reason for wanting to climb Mount Everest, because it's there. Uh, was Mallory right? Uh, I, I like how you put it, and I like how you write. Uh, you, you, you write, I refuse to dish up the idea that climbing resulted in Jungian self-actualization or any such haggis as that. Um, why did you ch choose to, to, why have you chosen, uh, Vanessa, to, to climb so many mountains, avoiding the haggis? So, you know, it's interesting. Every mountain was climbed by the time I was born. So you have to get that out, you know, first of all. Um, if, if I were to say, you know, why bother climbing because it's already been done or it's, it's you know, it, if I look at the cues on Everest and say, okay, well, it's already been done. This many people did it. Why should I go again? You know, nobody would bother to do anything. Um, it, it's just so self-defeatist to look at that angle and, and say, don't bother. And, and I, I just... You can't have that philosophy and get stuck in that philosophy. You have to think of another reason why climbing becomes important. One is always, can you personally do it? Because you are not the people who came before you. And then you look at the set of circumstances, you know, you're a hundred years between that first person and now, and certainly there's so many things that have changed. People who climbed before tell me that they're so glad they don't climb today because of climate change. Who wants to climb with a bunch of rocks torpedo, torpedoing down because rocks used to be 
solid and frozen to the earth and they're no longer solid and frozen to the earth. Um, there's a lot less uh, climate change has made conditions much more uh, hazardous and dangerous. Uh, there's a lot less ice and uh, snow on the mountains. So it's a much more mixed climb no matter where you are. Um, and of course- but it's still not easy. I mean, and that makes it in some ways even harder. Here we have uh, some, some images of you in your very protective, uh, protective gear with oxygen. Uh, another wonderful image of you climbing. I mean, th this stuff is not easy with or without global warming, right? No, not, no. I mean, you know, you, you've got, uh, you've got where you are, which has um, its subjective dangers. It's hard to get to. Uh, you've got the weather, which is always against you. Uh, you know, one after the other builds like a stacked up. And you've got above all else, and, and you write about this in a very eerie way in the book, you have death all around you. You went up um, K2 and you write uh, only 377 people have summited K2 and 84 climbers have died there. And you have this, again, very um, eerie description of being up, almost up K2 and then finding a foot, an ankle, a broken uh, tibia. Um, and you say that the quality of the tissue reminded you of the pickled pig's feet uh, that your mother used to love. Um, so, so death death is the, it, both literally and metaphorically, is the subtext of your narrative, isn't it? The fear of death and the impact of death. Yeah, I mean, death is, um, you... You have to be comfortable with death in that um, you can't fear it in the way that it holds you back. You have to be comfortable um, knowing that it's there. Uh, if, if not fatalistic, if your time is your time, but you have to be comfortable um, in in almost a. Uh, in, in almost a religious sense that uh, you are you're comfortable with the risks, you're comfortable knowing that you know what you're doing and um, uh, in, in a sort of a making peace with um, the spiritual, the, the, uh, the natural, um, all, all of those different aspects and that, um, you know, uh, it, it's hard to say, but it, it's like, a, Reinhold Messner used to say there was like a third person who walked with him, but you, you can't you can't be spooked by um, by anything that has to do with um, you know the supernatural or uh, you know bodies or uh, you're going to see them on a mountain. It's as simple as that. But there is a ghost in your book, isn't there? Um, and it's not a ghost of a, of a of a dead mountaineer. It's the ghost of of your brother, which seems to me to have driven the narrative um, and also perhaps enabled you to break free, to be so courageous, to risk your own life. You, the, the story of your brother, and again, I'm not prying here because you write about it. Uh, the story of your brother is the tragedy of your life, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, certainly that sets the stage for a lot of things that, that topple. Like a like a Jenga, you know, pieces get pulled out of this little Jenga, you know, one piece out of the other. That eventually this this right. structure crumbles, and you know, 
it, it does define my character in a sense in that as, as this Jenga puzzle crumbles, I have to maintain a sense of, um, you know, a structure in place of, of a lack of structure, if you will. And, and here so, we have, um, for, for people watching rather than listening, uh, a photo of you and your, your your brother and your mother with mountains in the background, and then you and your brother on a on a, a on a, in a fun fair. Uh, you you write, and again in a wonderful way, you say sorting through some old family photos not long ago. I noticed something I'd never seen before. Almost every picture had mountains of some sort in the background. Um, Here's a shot of me as a baby on a blank, a picnic blanket in some forgotten meadow. My handsome father leans in, resting on his elbow, the steep rake of a park behind him. Photos are memories, of course. Uh, those memories uh, seem to be of the moment of a kind of idyllic childhood before, as you say, everything came crashing down. Yeah, it, it is interesting, you know, um, who knows in a subliminal sense, you know, when I look back and I see, wow, there are mountains in every picture. So, you know, sort of, I, I always say like the Griswolds, you know, throw the two kids in the back of the car and you had, um, you know, low petrol prices and, you know, the, the coming of age of the automobile. So, you know, every state, every year, you know, go visit something, but it tended to be mountains. And um, there you go. So the, the, the tragedy again, and I, I don't mean to pry, but the book is itself, I think, uh, quite an intimate autobiography, Vanessa. Um, stuff happens to people. People experience tragedies. But your narrative is of a double tragedy. You, you lost your, your brother, your, your uh, teenage brother, to a freak uh, boating accident. And then your parents left you. Your mother disappeared. Uh, and your father here photographed, you, you say your handsome father photographed with you as a baby, essentially disintegrated. So you had a, a, a double tragedy or a triple tragedy. Yeah, because I think, uh, you know, they were very young parents. So when uh, I contrast this a little bit against my my husband, who was born to forty year olds. I was born to twenty year olds, and it's just the natural. It's not the natural order of things for uh, for for young people to die before older people. So I don't think they could handle the death of uh, a child, and so it it just was too much. They couldn't stay in the, the family home. They didn't want to see each other. They didn't want to be reminded of it. And, you know, it, it, it forced me to grow up faster and become more of an adult, which, um, which was fine. But you were left all alone. I mean, it's a, it's a, I wouldn't say a shocking story, but as a parent, um, it's a very sad story of parents who disintegrated because of this, catastrophe with your brother and you were left alone yeah and I and you know it's it's that's true that's absolutely true and I you know and there's probably many households that that maybe check out but still have you know a family unit there um you know that maybe have the similar situations but um what's interesting is is the human body's ability to 
not not the body, but you know, just an individual's ability to uh, to cope and um, you know survive, no matter what it is that they go through. Well, you survived. You went to business school. You became a successful banker. But it doesn't seem to me, again, reading the book, maybe I'm overreading it. It doesn't seem to me as if you've really recovered until you climb these mountains. This, to me, is um, uh, you, you, you were at the top of, K, I think it's K2, and, you, and you, you said, I tried hard to experience this moment as a formality. My parents didn't have to die to abandon me. In the years since my mother's funeral, I'd become a different person, living in an entirely changed body thinking with an entirely rewired brain. Uh, I had become more myself than I'd ever been or imagined possible. I had learned the last great lesson of the mountains, that a mountain does not love you. A mountain, however magnificent, is not capable of love. What you seem to be suggesting is that you had to climb these mountains, all these different things you did in 20. 12 and 2013, the North Pole, the South Pole, K2, uh, all these other remarkable achievements to discover love. Is that right? Well, I would say that, you know, in a different different sense, love, yes, in that there was, um, you know, on K2, there was more of a broader sense of a love, a love of... um, you know, a country, a love of, of people, the generosity of people. It was it was a it was bigger and broader, um, because the mountain, the success of the mountain wasn't coming as quickly, and I I was starting to experience a lot of, um, you know, sort of the what would, what would you call it? You would call it the kindness of strangers. Right, the community. And I have some images here for people just listening. A community here. Here we have a community of of local people. Uh, here we have you with uh, a couple of friends in a tent. Here we have you with three friends, uh, fellow climb. I think they're fellow climbers. Yep. You had to climb these these mountains to. I mean, you had your husband. I'm not saying you didn't have friends, but the role of community seems to be central in your narrative. Yeah. So, so what happens is on any of these expeditions, you know, there's, there's a lot of downtime and there's a lot of things that go wrong. In fact, everything goes wrong. Um, and it's, it's how people come together to have it go right, uh, and to compensate for the things that go wrong. And over time in climbing, I found that it was so interesting that the kindness of strangers was really, really powerful. Um, but but nowhere in particular in as much as Pakistan, um, which was really surprising to me, particularly because, you know, it from the Western media perspective, it had such a bad reputation, uh, you know, after 9-11. And I was told not to go. And of course, my experience was 180 degrees different. So I, I was really... Uh, taken back by that experience. It's the kindness of strangers, isn't it? Yesterday we had um, Matt Feeney on the show who's written a book called Little Platoons, which is a defense of family. But your family, for one reason or other, because of this terrible tragedy, unraveled. And, and what you discovered in place was this kindness of strangers. 
Yeah. So, you know, no matter what, my family was always a nuclear family, one that I would choose and one that I would almost pick and choose and develop my tribe. And my tribe would not be necessarily, you know, a, a blood relation, but it would be people that I felt, you know, um, you know, earned trust and respect and, um, you know, a, a place at the table. And uh, to be fair, I mean, you never gave up on family. Here we have the image of you and your father again. At the end of the book, your father is ravaged by Parkinson's. He's on the verge of death. But then nonetheless, you take him on his own mountain trip, uh, metaphorically at least. You take him fishing. That was his last wish. So uh, it's, it's not as if you gave up on family. The, the family, in a sense, gave up on you. You mentioned earlier, Vanessa, uh, the environment, and, and you have some wonderful sections um, on geology. You hear you're describing K2. You say the topology here is the legacy of a colossal slow motion fender bender that's been going on for more than 50 million years. The Indian plate smashed into and under the Eurasian plate, forcing peaks five miles into the air to create the, the Himalayas. And again, we have some... Um, some pictures of this from the book. What did what has your mountaineering experience taught you about our responsibility to nature? Well, we have a big responsibility. The uh, that there is research uh, that shows that the glaciers in the Himalayas, a, a third of those glaciers are gone. So if you woke up today, saw a picture, and said, "Oh my, those are lovely." Um, what can we do? We can do nothing to get that third of those glaciers back. They're gone. We can only worry about protecting that second third. So it really is alarming. Uh, and why mountaineers matter is because we are the boots on the ground that can go and collect the samples needed to see how fast these glaciers are receding and to test for any um, contamination. And there is contamination because all events are global events. So if we get a, an, an event like Fukushima, it, that event goes up in the westerlies, travels across, and then down into the glaciers. So we will get lead contamination um, as much as it goes down into the water and travels across the oceans. So Gaia is one planet. These things happen, and you can prove it by taking sam glacier samples. I don't want to present the book as being altogether serious. I mean, it, it is, uh, in some ways, I guess, a rather grim autobiography of a young girl who got left by her family because of this terrible tragedy. But on the other hand, it's a fun book. It's, a, it's an, you know, as I said, it's a, it's a very, uh, it, it's, it's a remarkable story of a, of a banker who became one of the leading mountaineers of the world taking risks. Uh, but it's also fun. I have you. I, I love your description. On top of uh, when you get up K two, um, you're wearing uh, earbuds, and you you weren't sure whether you were listening to the Rolling Stones or the Sex Pistols. What is the right song, Vanessa? When you climb mountains, when you get to the top, is it the Stones? Is it the Sex Pistols? <laughs> yeah, that was a great one uh, because either either one of them left you quite sh shy of you know whatever you want, or can you get what you want, or try. Um, you know, 
the thing is, is music is is great on low if there's no avalanche risk, um, but you have to keep music very low in case there's avalanche risk. So I, I don't want to encourage that to other people climbing. You have to hear what's going on. But, uh, you know, I think there, there is always a playlist in somebody's head um, because songs, like, like so many other things, can be inspirational. And it goes around that never giving up. Um, you know, you don't want to give up and failure is fine. Uh, because it's a it's a data point. It gives you information, but you can't fail unless you you give up and you say I'm out. Um, Is that what you mean when uh, sorry when you uh, when you talk about uh, the more I climb, the more I see how climbing history repeats itself. The dynamics of the business world, my previous life, for better or worse, mirror the dynamics of mountain climbing. History repeating itself. Yeah, in many ways. I mean, you, you see, um, you know, uh, success and failure. I mean, I, I everything that I had done when I started out came very quickly. And the, the, there was sort of um, outside of the well, let me let me take a step back. There was there was initial there was initial failure, which was amazing, because without that, I would not I would never have gone back and learned what I needed to do to do it right. So that was uh, the first attempt on Everest. And that made me go back and really dot the I's and cross the T's. And that was so important. Um, and every entrepreneur will tell you, you know, failure first is so important, so important. So that's great. But then everything happened sort of in a line of succession until K2. K2 gave me a really hard time to get to that summit. And I call it like Dante's Inferno. Which, which, you know, circle of hell were you in? And, you know, what is above knows what is below, but what is below does not know what is above. And so I felt like, you know, how, did, how was I going to prove my, myself to get to the summit? And, um, you know, after that third year, we were the only team to summit. So again, it, it's always about risk, but it, it also was an amazing experience to be able to do that. Um, and, and get there in the end, you know, with, with a very, very, um, I would say, experienced team. Vanessa, finally, um, do you have any more mountains, metaphorical or otherwise, to climb? You've climbed a lot in your, in your what, 55 years uh, on Earth, but uh, are you still climbing mountains? Yeah, so, so I think what differentiates, um, you know, I wrote the book to be a little bit funny. You know, uh, there's, there is a lot of humor in there. Um, but you, but you balance the humor and the seriousness, in, I think, in a, in a very uh, elegant and, and and moving way. I I really think it's an excellent book. No, thank you very much. And you know, and part of that is because I I use humor in everyday life, and and to you know, and I also use humor, of course, like some people who try to avoid difficult subjects. So I, I will put my hand up for that. Um, in, in fact, uh, the, That's first, the English side of you, right? The British side. Yes. And, you know, the, in fact, the first, I want to say the first, uh, edition of the book, you know, had maybe nothing about childhood, nothing about the past. And I think, um, the first request to have it written in, I submitted a chapter that said gross point blanked ED. Mm. This page left intentionally blank. Yeah. 
you know, so so I'm always trying to sort of dodge or be cheeky in, in one way. But, you know, but the humor is important for, for a couple of reasons. One is just the subject matter is heavy, so you have to keep it light. And, and you have to, but that's true in life. You have to you have to have a sense of humor. Um, to, to even do any of these things, I think it's dangerous not to. Um, and, and that would be my approach. But I also think it's, it's a metaphor. You know, I did this, I, my, when I think about, I stood on the top of Everest at the age of 47. Uh, when I look at that and I see, say, you know, my first uh, grandfather, great-grandfather rather, coming, you know, to the United States, say from Austria-Hungary at the age of 45, he would be the first explorer. So you look two generations and you say, okay, you know, what have what have people done? Where have they moved to? What, what are they capable of? And what is age really? Uh, you know, age is a, is a mindset. And, you know, where people are is where they start. And, you know, people are capable of so many things and it's really just putting your mind to it. And that's part of why I wanted to write the book is just so that people, wherever they are, wherever they're stuck, if they're stuck in something that they know that they have, they have the safety net of all the, the experience and knowledge and skills that they have to pivot and take a step forward. Well, that pivoting, uh, as you say in uh, in the book, to all those with the courage to embrace change, really fits your book in with the the other books that we've been covering uh, over the last few weeks, the Pearl Ruth book, the, 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 the Sherry Turkle, the Rosa Brooks, the Judy Battalion book. It's an excellent read. Um, to the Greatest Heights, Facing Danger, Finding Humility, and Climbing a Mountain of Truth. Uh, I note, uh, Vanessa, that you sort of conveniently sidestep my question about whether you've got any more mountains to climb. Maybe you can write another book about that. Um, you are now in uh, upstate New York in these strange times. We're not allowed out. It must be particularly difficult for a mountaineer like you. Uh, what else should people be reading in addition to your new book? Well, um, let's see. I got a bookshelf behind me. So those books behind me are mostly to be read. Um, but, um, you know, I... <laughs> I grabbed the age of surveillance capitalism. Oh, <laughs> yes, that's a hard read. And actually, Shoshana was on our show last year uh, talking about that book. Um, that's a, a different kind of mountain to climb. Yes, excellent. Yeah, well, so that'll keep you busy. That'll definitely keep me busy. And I, I had a friend who just beat cancer. So, wow, that looks like a good book. You know, this anti-cancer, a new way of life. So, you know, this... Um, this was apparently very helpful to, to him. And is she a friend? Oh, she, she didn't write the book. She read the book. Yeah, uh, he read the book. He had um, uh, a form of prostate cancer. And I'm a big fan of uh, Suzanne Summers, who does all the um, uh, hormone uh, treatments and recommendations for women. So this is a, this is a very old book, but... Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot that's not known about hormones in women. So um, we'll see a lot more on that in the future, I'm sure. Well, Vanessa O'Brien, you are in person very self-effacing, but your life is really quite remarkable, summarized in this new book, To the Greatest Heights, Facing Danger, Finding Humility, and Climbing a Mountain of Truth. I want to 
congratulate you for climbing those mountains, whether they are the literal mountains or the, the mountains of your past, uh, and revealing it in your book. Congratulations. Real honor to have you on the show, Vanessa. And uh, next time you write a book about mountains or climb a mountain, you'll have to come back on and tell us all about it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew.